Hey, husband. Yes, wife. What is the dumbest animal in the jungle? Don't do this, wife. It's a polar bear. Wow. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Random Thoughts number eight. Today, we are going to talk about that master of mystery, sure, Vorik <laughs> Zorbas. Is he really that mysterious if he's stabbing the hell out of you? Well, I don't know. Rogues are mysterious, and, like, they blend into the shadows. They and... have a spec called combat, which I don't think exists anymore. I, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I never rolled rogue. Because it was originally assassination, subtlety, and combat. And now it's something else. But I don't know what it was changed to. Ninjago. Or, or is that that weird Lego thing? That's the Lego thing. Okay. Anyway. Besides, they've been leaning into the whole pirate idea, which I'm not a huge fan of. No. Pirates. Well, he hates pirates. I love pirates, but that's because I'm a history major. Anyway. So today we are going to talk about the rogue deck Vorg Zorbas, but first we have a couple of housekeeping things. Housekeeping! Housekeeping! Do you even know what that's from? Family Guy? No. Oh. I'll explain it to you when you're older. We wanted to go over a couple things real quick as we are inching ever closer to Gen Con. Are you guys excited? We're super excited. So... One of the things that we wanted to bring up was, well, what are we going to do in future podcasts? Obviously, for the last several, we have been going over individual decks, and we're going to do that today as well. However, we only have one more between now and the actual Gen Con event. The caveat being that we actually are supposed to be releasing one in the middle of Gen Con if we keep our schedule. And, um... I'm not going to lie to you guys, I plan on having too much fun to be doing a full episode. Not to say that we aren't having fun doing the podcast and putting all this stuff together, but as you would imagine, it's a little bit different when you get to show up at Gen Con and play this game for real again. Yeah, and we're super excited for that. Exactly. So we do have a few things that we're trying to plan real quick before the event comes up. And for things that we're going to try and do during the event, in prep for the event, you know, literally right beforehand, and then what we're going to do following. So that's kind of where you, dear listener, come in. Obviously, we could continue still doing more deck dives and going over in-depth pieces and describing decks, maybe even circle back and review ones that we already did in light of, you know, new ideas, new testing, whatever. But... I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that people don't want to hear us ramble on and on reading the card text to you forever. So, what we are asking is what type of things do you want to hear? Um, obviously, we all love WoW, and we are hoping to continue with WoW as one of our major things. We might add in a few more games that we play, but we want to know what you, as our WoW listeners, want to hear. Now, we have had a few other people, as we mentioned in other podcasts, other episodes, write in or leave us a message on Facebook or however they decided to reach out to us asking about the raids and doing some video content and a few other things. And we're definitely still looking into those, although to be perfectly honest, we're having some difficulty with the peripherals. They're kind of giving us a hard time. 
So as Wife was saying, we're going to look into possibly bringing some other games, whether they're board games, card games, video games, movies, whatever, into the primary part of the podcast to kind of supplement what's going on post-Gen Con. That's not to say that we're ever going to get away from WoW, but we do want to intersperse it a little bit unless everybody turns around and says, nope, <laughs> that's all wow I want to hear forever. about. ever. Which I think we'd be okay with. Yeah, considering the fact that so after the game died... I think husband and I both were complaining every time we started a new game. Like, yeah, it's really fun, but it's just it's just not wow. It's just not the same. I think the people we played with those other games were tired of hearing about this one. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure they were too. So, that being said, we are getting super excited as we get closer. At the time of this recording, we're under 30 days. Yes, we are. So we're not too far out, and we are really looking forward to playing. So we're going to probably be toting around at least one deck each, probably more than one, because uh, we have a few other people, some friends that we made last year in other games who wanted to learn the WoW TCG while they were at Gen Con this year, or had already tried it before, and, you know, like we said before, try playing against someone outside of their normal play group. So, moving into our deck, we have Vorik Zorbas. He is a goblin rogue whose flips and gives you um, however much melee damage you would deal. It's that much plus one nature damage. Which is a pretty big deal. That extra plus one adds up very, very quickly. Yes. Yes, it does. And although a three-cost flip typically is pretty expensive, I mean, you compare it to, say, Spellweaver John, who flips for free. Or... Or, well, I was going to say Tyrus, but his flip should be free if you're doing it right. Well, yeah, if you're paying eight on Tyrus's, something's, that's a weird game that's happening. Yeah. So, aside from those super cheap ones, this is, and or excuse me, aside from the ones that are super cheap and then sometimes super expensive, like Tyrus or Gurgle Murgle, some of the Throne of the Tides heroes... Zorba's probably is the, one of the more expensive flips in general. I mean, when we talked about Lord Benjamin Tremendhausen! What? It's so loud. Of course it's so loud. It has to be loud. His flip costs four, which is exceptionally expensive. That's an entire turn for a good chunk of the game. And Vorix is kind of the same way, although you are pretty much flipping with him on turn three every game. Yeah, I found, especially while playing with him, that, you know, sometimes you really want to play a three-drop guy. No, you're going to wait, and you want to flip Vorix first before you do anything else. Yeah, the, the plus one doesn't seem to matter that much until you run the deck a few times. So, speaking of the deck, there are actually a couple different versions of this build. So, there were one... There was one in each Metamart Top 8, and they have some significant differences between the two. The main or primary one is either the addition or the loss of Overkill, which is an older card. It costs 5, and it's a finishing move. And now compared to traditional finishing moves, which have to remove combo cards, or the newer Cryptozoic versions which only care about whether it's a rogue ability or not, this one actually removes other finishing moves from your graveyard, up to five, 
And when you do, your opponent has to discard that many cards. They and their entire team take that much damage, and then they have to destroy that many equipment. As you can imagine, that is super crippling. However, our particular version, and actually the one that placed in the second Metamart event, so the one where nobody was, or people weren't going in quite as blind, didn't include this, which is, was surprising, which is kind of why we wanted to build that particular version. Yes, so our version without, um, I would say, mostly focuses around, well, a bunch of cards, but one of my favorites, and I think one of the most crucial to play, is Seal Fate. Now, that's so, not to say that that is not crucial in the other version, but it's kind of where you start with this deck. Yeah, so it, um, this deck, and along with pretty much all rogue decks, it's a lot of discard, and you want to help yourself discard. Well, Seal Fade helps you discard because you are discarding five cards, and then for however many rogue abilities you um, reveal, you get to deal that much damage. Oh, hey, if you flipped, you get to deal that much plus one, and that's a pretty sweet deal. Now, to clarify, when Wife is saying discard, she means, for those who played Magic, milling. And that means removing the cards from the top of your deck and putting them into your graveyard, as opposed to discarding them from your hand. Yes. It Sorry. is significant, because if you had to discard six rogue abilities from your hand, you'd that would be a feat to accomplish. Yeah, that that would actually be pretty hard. No, this one, you are just taking five cards off the top of your head, or top of your head, yeah, <laughs> top of your deck, and it putting is. them, eh, same deal, putting them in your graveyard. Um, so so that, it's pretty solid. Yeah, that say. ties into the Ring of Blood, the War Malt Champ, which is a quest that provides a similar effect, in this case only three. So as an additional cost to play it face up, you mill three cards. The, these both sound terrible. Can you tell us why it's not so terrible, wife? So I, um, well, first I'm going to say why it sounds terrible. So I um, have a tendency just to pick up decks and not really realize what they're doing and not ask questions and to just do it. And so I didn't play Seal Fate or Ring of Blood World Mall Champion for, like, the first five games because I was like, oh, my God, these are terrible. And then I realized you actually want to discard your cards it's kind because of we have lots of combo cards in particular, well, two in particular that you really want, but um, one of these is Death Blow. Your hero deals one melee damage for however many, up to five combo cards that you well, one remove. Plus. So one you could plus. One plus. A yes. standard, air quotes, Death Blow can go up to six damage. But wait, you flipped, and then you can do seven. Which that, again, that, that one extra damage adds up over the course of a game. It can be the difference between you having to remove an additional card that you may or may not have to either finish the game, remove a Death Veer from play, eliminate some other threat. It's kind of a big deal when, and we're going to get into it in a minute, how tight this deck is on resources. And it's not, we're not talking literal resource cards, locations, quests, or face-down things. We're talking about combos and what you have in your graveyard that you want to play in order and remove from the game in order to boost your death blows and your surge of adrenalines. Exactly. And each of these cards, we're saying combo, and it's kind of combo in every sense of the word. There are literal combo cards in the deck. They have combo on their tagline, or type line, excuse me. But they also obviously combine together to create 
a super dead opponent. So we're not going to read all of the, the individual cards here. We're going to go over some, I guess, higher level concepts related to it. So looking actually at the build that we didn't build our or base our build off of, uh, that was run by Sylvester D'Augustino in the first Metamart event. And as we said before, this particular list was running overkill. Ours is not. Since we already went through it, it, it's pretty obvious the power level of overkill. It inspired its own archetypes when the card was first printed. It was a staple for a very long time. And it was kind of natural to go back to it. The other differences in that list is obviously it needs more finishing moods, moods, <laughs> moves to fuel the overkill. So it's running kidney shots. It's running rays. It also has some other higher-end cards, such as Burgle, and adds in Thud so that you can feed the initial finishing move to then use the finishing move to feed Overkill. It can do some really unfair things, just like this deck can, and really you kind of have to treat them as a control burn deck. And by that I mean you don't have a whole lot of allies, both this list, as well as the one that we are running, and the one that placed in the second Metamart event, at most are running eight allies. So, um, obviously, he's Horde, so he's running Broderick, which, once again, I know I keep saying this, but he flips. So instead of having a Broderick deal one damage, you can attack and have it deal two. Or if you have two Brodericks, it's only going to deal three, but still, like, over time, it really helps. Exactly. Um, and then we also have Ruka the Cutthroat. So when she is wounded, you get to look at your opponent's hand. When she dies, you get to name a card type in your opponent's hand, minus quest. And so ability, ally, or equipment. And then they have to take however much damage of the cards in their deck. So if your opponent is playing Death Wish, you are more than likely going to say equipment, and you can deal a whole lot of damage. I think one time I dealt five, thus from her, but then I had flips of six damage for you. It's a pretty significant chunk. You won't get the extra off of that because Aruka actually deals the damage herself. Oh yeah, this is true. But... I just remembered dealing six damage to you, and it seemed pretty solid. Yeah, and that actually led to a number of games where this deck kind of rolls the bones. And by that I mean you are taking your your deck in your hands, I guess, <laughs> when you play Seal Fate, when you play Warm All Champ. It so inappropriate. It does. It's pretty it close. so inappropriate. Anyway. So... You're milling these cards. You don't know what you're going to hit. Most of the time you don't mind because whatever's in hand is going to use them as fuel to become stronger. If you hit, say, two Brodericks, an Aruka, and two other rogue abilities, if you flipped, you dealt three, you're going to attack for three, and then whatever Aruka happens to tag them for. Yeah, so... Like we said, it's a lot of little things when your hero flips, but those those little pieces add up pretty darn fast. And it's important that they do because this is a burn deck. It's It doesn't have a lot of consistent sources of damage. So great, you hit that Broderick early. You're attacking with your hero. That's virtually the only consistent source of damage. Everything else is from an ability. So they're only one-time things. Stuff like armor... 
essentially, it's not just preventing damage. It's also causing you to discard a card, essentially. And any sort of healing or other damage prevention functions the same way. So each of your cards has to go that little bit extra because you're not going to get repeated swings like you would with an ally. This is true. Well, then let's move into a couple other of our key cards. We have to deal with allies. We have uh, Poison the Well, Carnage, and Aggressive Infiltration, which are pretty much just your end gouge, but they're your easy ways to control the board. Poison the Well obviously deals with smaller guys, and Carnage doesn't care about you know, most of the um, added text, it pretty much costs four or less, you're mine, you're dead. And that's the advantage nice. of both that and Poison the Well. While Death Veer or Savandra Darklust will dodge those sort of things due to Will of the Forsaken, hey, all those werewolves on your opponent's side of the board, they go bye bye Yeah. Um, you have Lady Jana Brownboard. Oh, well, she's just getting destroyed. Lady Bancroft. Yeah, what did I say? I said the wrong word. Yeah, so have Lady Bancroft. <laughs> she goes bye bye. I mean, Jada is a card. She has two actually. Three. Yeah, no, I. Zero. Yeah, I, I. I've had Jane on the brain since we were talking about Garrosh earlier, but let's. <laughs> okay. We'll talk about that later. So, one of the other key things going all the way back to when we did our first deck tack on Tyrus is Tyrus's advantage is he plays reasonable threats to begin with, and then suddenly they become monstrous once unholy power hits the board but wait carnage don't give a damn exactly these particular sweepers don't care about health exactly so that is one of the differences between a lot of rogue builds or really just a lot of builds in general and we've said it a lot in each of the episodes that you need to be careful about what you think you're going into when you play with your friends, when you play in an event, you have to have some recon on what sort of things you're going against. Because guess what? If your opponent's all playing Searing Light or they're playing some other <laughs> an undead hero so they have access to, to Death Fear, you have an uphill climb if most of your removal is leaning on Carnage, for example. Yeah. Conversely, if you want to beat up on a bunch of werewolves... You probably want these. Yeah. I think it really, it does depend on what you think you're going to be playing against. Um, But in general, those cards are pretty good for most of your ally sweepers. Now, I think the one card that we have found to be much more useful than I think we initially thought it was going to be. That's for sure. um, Was Boundless Agony. So... It's a uh, three cost, two damage, one payment. Strike cost. Strike cost, sure. Um, Dagger. Uh, Boundless Agony uh, makes all damage that's dealt unpreventable. Whether it's yours or your opponent's. And we said it in the Death Wish episode, but anytime there's a symmetrical effect like this, you inherently have an advantage because you are bringing it to the table you know it's available, and your opponent may or may not be prepared to play against it. And so, armor doesn't work. Silvermoon City, which is super obnoxious if you flip, doesn't work. Yeah, Silvermoon City on nature, when you turn 100% of your damage into nature, I guess minus Aruka, 
Yeah, that would be... <laughs> you need a boundless agony. Yeah, uh, you want, like, I want the option to unflip. That should be an option. Oh, you could slash dance. Hmm. We're not playing slash dance in this list. But then I can make people dance. No, you have to dance. I can make other people dance with me. I have the gift and the power. Sure, sure you do. Sure you do. Anyway, um, so Boundless Agony was much more useful than I think we initially thought it was going to be. Useful might be an understatement. For example, we were testing Death Wish because we, you know, it's a matchup we wanted to test. And I don't think Death Wish won a single game. And it was over the course of like 15 or 20 games. There were a significant number where or maybe not a significant number, but a reasonable number where wife got out to a huge head start because turn one or turn two, I already had 10 damage on me because she hit pretty decent seal fades slash into Brodericks or whatever the case may be. But ultimately, when I started to armor up or if I tried to use Wraith Scythe to claw back into the game, Boundless Agony just locked me out. It slammed the door shut, dropped the gate, Porcullus, Drawbridge, everything. It was all over. So, Boundless Agony turned out to be real important. Now, outside of the Death Wish matchup, or Tank Man matchups, or other ones where there happens to be a lot of armor, for whatever reason. Or anything where you're playing a Blood Elf and you could have Silver Moon. Right. There, it also has importance in, as we mentioned, say, Searing Light. So, Priest Builds, or even some Druids that maybe, if they're playing a ramp strategy and want to okay, I'm going to soak some damage early, and then I'll heal it up. Well, guess what? You slam that Boundless Agony. They can't they be healed. And even if they remove it, if they have to waste time, you know, it's time walking them, essentially, because they have to spend resources and tempo addressing that card, and you essentially get a free turn to keep hammering them. And that's all this deck wants, is to try and close the game out before those sort of things happen. And you certainly can when we're talking about seven damage death blows, six damage seal fates, four damage slay the feebles, all costing one mana. You could play a boundless agony, even if they have armor on the board, and play on turn six literally all three of those cards I just said on top of the boundless agony and maybe just end it right there. Yeah, it's definitely a possibility. So, while this deck does have some pretty decent strengths, and it's really fun when you can get it to go off, I would say there are various weaknesses with it. Um, primarily, well, the biggest one, and obviously this is a big issue in any deck, is if you just can't get it to sync. But if you can't get any combo cards into your discard pile early on, it's, it's unfortunate. And it goes back to a deck construction, not issue, but concern that you have to keep in your head the ratio of finishing moves to combo cards to quote-unquote normal cards. So one of the things wife and I had discussed was potentially including a, the fixed version, so to speak, of Overkill, and that's No Mercy. So Cryptozoic, similar to Wizards of the Coast, had a tendency, I guess towards the end, to try and fix old powerful cards, fix in air quotes, to make them, I guess, more appropriate. It's not necessarily, at least in WoW, 
that they were overpowered. I mean, you can make the argument that Overkill was, but they wanted to try and have a new generation of those abilities. So No Mercy, instead of requiring finishing moves get removed, you can remove up to five rogue abilities in your graveyard from the game. Okay? Mostly the same. Then, similar to Poison the Well and Carnage, instead of dealing damage, this just straight up destroys all opposing allies and equipment with costs less than or equal to the number of abilities. So you lose out on the damage, but okay, you may just remove them. You could potentially be removing less equipment, but if you remove five abilities, you're probably getting every equipment in play, or the majority of them. The bigger issue is you lose out on the discard, and that's the problem. Similarly, because of the transition, the finishing move combo combination kind of caught the, the short end of the stick. So forms got changed, and that was mostly for the better. Totems got changed, and that made sense. It simplified things. When the rogue abilities got changed, it was actually really cool. The problem is, is that, well, the game went the way of the dodo too quickly, and there, weren't, there wasn't enough time to really catch everything up. The point being, to tie this together, is that you could swap out a bunch of these cards. You could change up the ratios, but you have to be very careful of not beating yourself, which is what Wife was getting to a few minutes ago. You could very easily end up crippling your own deck when you shuffle up, draw a hand, and go, oops, I have a ton of finishing moves, but I have four combo cards in my deck. Or I have a ton of combos, and then I only really have one finishing move to do anything with. It's, yeah. a, it's a very delicate dance. Yeah. Um, so that's probably the biggest issue, What is just if you're not going to roll it, it's game over. Now, our, uh, there were a bunch of hard matchups, I would say, in our testing. Well, in, in the interest of full disclosure, our testing did not go well with Vorix. No. Vorix, I think he's super fun to play, and I like the idea of all these combo cards, but our testing our testing didn't like Vorix so much, especially, well, there were a few, but especially when it came to Spellweaver Jihan. Yeah, Spellweaver. I think Spellweaver... it was zero? Zero wins. Gonna go with zero. I think it was, it wasn't many, let's put it that way. And there were a couple other matchups that were not equally rough, but they were pretty tough. And this goes back to what we were saying earlier, that you have to be prepared going in. So we were doing, say, halfway decent against the Werewolf deck, but we're running Poison the Well and Carnage. If we traded those out, put in some other kind of sweeper, we might not be doing so well, but maybe the Spellweaver Jahan matchup becomes a lot better. Yeah. Or we're currently only running Poach for discard. If we were running Purloin's main deck also, you could rip apart that mage's hand and then they can't really stand up to you. Yeah. So I mean there are options of ways that we could tweak this, but especially as this was standing uh Jihan was probably the hardest. We had a few other difficulties in there. Um, our best was definitely fighting against Deathwish because getting through armor for freezies was pretty nice. Yeah, I feel like we had to... I don't know if it was just... I don't want to say it was luck, but the fact that it went so poorly... I mean, I'm looking at our spreadsheet right now, and it was literally 
eight games in a row that were wins, and then we decided to give up for that, <laughs> and yeah. then circle back to it, and then it was a bunch of more wins. That is, wins by Vorik's over Death Wish. Yes. Because we just said, okay, something's not going right. Either we're not playing it right, or it's just not happening, yeah. and we're, we're putting it aside for now. We found Tyrus to be, I think, about 60-40 in favor of Tyrus, but in... And full disclosure, I was also figuring out how to play this deck when we were playing against Tyrus. Right. Yeah, It. I think it's closer to even. I think this deck... The thing is, is that this deck can have those oops-I-win draws. Where it's just yeah. like, oh, I seal fate you for six. And I... Then, Do that four times in a row. And then it's like, oh, well, I seal fate you for three. But then I hit two Brodericks. And I'm attacking for another three. And it's just... You know, you can have those pretty much unbeatable draws and just blow somebody out. Plus, out of the board, because of these options we talked about, you can definitely tweak your deck so that, oh, it's werewolves, I'll board in Poison the Wells. Oh, it's slow mage, well, Poison the Well probably doesn't need to be there, but Purloin, <laughs> come on off the pine, you are starting. You know, there are a lot of different ways that you can, or a lot of different directions you can take this. But, as wife said, there's... We had some struggles, and there can be super frustrating games where you just go, man, I just can't do anything, which a highlight from when Wife was playing Vorix and I was playing, I forget what I was playing, to be honest with you, but I basically removed her whole graveyard a whole bunch of times. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. And that is a significant weakness for this deck. When you're trying to power up Surge of Adrenaline, trying to power up Death Blows, or overkills or whatever your finisher finishing move of choice is and, and you, then they remove your graveyard and then you can't do anything right ever. and it's not a you know i removed it in response it's just i'm playing whatever like the torch of retribution or maybe it's just torch of retribution i don't remember whatever the quest is it's pay for shuffle a player's graveyard into their deck draw a card yeah so it's oh well i didn't have anything to play on turn four drop that quest you didn't do anything all that dangerous, or maybe even right now, remove your graveyard. You get to start from scratch. I'll draw a card. Mm-hmm. Good luck. Yeah. So things like that were not super fun. Um, getting, getting down to it, there were lots of games where I just felt hopeless, and then like by the time I was just kind of like staring at the at the table going, oh, dear God, just let me die. <laughs> um, that being said, I still, even on days when I was not winning at all, I still found Vorix fun to play um, because it was, well, for me, it's a different type of deck, but it also kind of, it uses old ideas like the combo cards, um, like Death Blow and uh, Surge of Adrenaline from Drums, and they finally combine it with these newer cards like Seal Fate and Vorix himself. So all of those things make a fun um, kind of new aspect to it all. And I, I really enjoyed it. I just don't know if it's as strong as it could be. I think if we tweaked our particular list more, we probably have it higher up. We don't want to push. We don't want to make it seem like the deck is not good. It definitely is. It it placed two different people in two different events, top eight, 
and including the second one where maybe you could say the first one was luck and nobody knew what was going on in the classic format for Metamart number one. But by the second one, people at least had results to go by and these ideas of, oh, the werewolf deck, that's a thing. Vorix, that's a thing. And then it still managed to perform well anyway. So granted, the pilots were strong players, obviously, but at the same time, the list has to have something going for it. So I would definitely recommend people giving a shot if you want to be kind of poisony stabby with your rogues. Wow. What? Poisony stabby. Well, that's a, that's what I assume it is. You're turning it into nature damage. That's usually poison damage. Yeah, it kind of is. Okay. I'm assuming that's what, like that. what the theme was supposed to be behind the scenes, but... Anyway. Um, yeah, so... It's a fun, interesting take on a rogue as opposed to just lurking in the shadows and so to right so to, to wrap it up, we're probably going to do one more deck tech prior to Gen Con, but that's still a little bit up in the air. As we said at the top, please drop us some feedback. Let us know what you'd like to hear about, what you'd like to see. If there's a particular deck, we do have one in mind. But we wouldn't mind continuing to do more deck techs after Gen Con if people still want to hear about it. And especially if there's a particular deck or hero that you want to hear about, let us know. And we will endeavor to play the crap out of it. Exactly. And we're definitely going to do a, uh, a follow-up after Gen Con on what we see, what ideas other people have. Because it's always cool to hear from other people. We had someone from the UK last year. And it was interesting hearing what's going on on that side versus over here in the U.S. Yeah. So hopefully we will see you all at Gen Con, all signed up, perky-eyed, and ready to go at 1 o'clock on Friday. And just keep shuffling those cards. Catchy catchphrase to be determined later. Yeah. Thanks for listening. I'm wife. And I'm husband. So now we are, for our off-topic, are going to talk about a uh, board game called Evolution by North Star Games. Um, we happened upon it, well, I first heard about it at Gen Con last year, husband. You heard it before then, correct? It was mentioned before Gen Con, and I made it a point that I wanted to go see it at Gen Con. And, well, <laughs> we didn't. I yeah. saw it. But I didn't actually see it as you would say it, yeah. Which was a mistake at the time, A, because it turns out we love this game. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And I will say it's definitely a fun way to get those people in your life who may not be gamers in order to enjoy a game. So we have... Everybody um, has those people. Yeah. Um, We have... A few people in our lives who um, would not be considered gamers um, hmm. by any means. That is definitely I, true. I think the the uh, closest we bring it, we say, oh, let's play a game, and they think of something that ends in Opoly. Um, to be fair, they've come around on Cards Against Humanity, at least. Yeah, that took a while, but it happened. Um, but yeah, and at least it's not the relationship killer that is Monopoly. So... The whole point of the game is you build creatures. 
you give them traits, and you want to feed your creatures. Yeah, the goal of the game is at the end of the game have the most points. Well, most points are food. Exactly. Best point system ever. Very true, because we all love us some grubbage. That sounds like garbage. No, Can we just say food? No, grubbage. Okay. Anyway, so the idea is that you have cards which actually function as the turn limit, I guess, for the game. When you run out of cards in the central deck, the game's over. Yeah. So each turn and at the beginning of the game, each player will be dealt a number of cards. And then, as I said, at the start of each turn, you'll refill those cards. So those cards are traits. And those traits can then give your species either an evolution, so they might be able to climb, or they Have can horns. forage. Or horns. Or defensive Or hurting. you can use those cards to then create new species. Or grow your species, which has different gameplay effects. But one of the cool things about the traits is that on the, I guess, player aid cards, so it gives you the standard, this is the turn sequence, then it gives you the description of the cards, and then on the back page it has the, air quotes, scientific names for the cards. So, like, if your character might have Ambush, and they might have fat tissue. They might be a ninja chunk. <laughs> <laughs> or if they have fat tissue and population, they might be lardo peeps. What if you are you have the trait body size and you have the trait horns, so your creature is a mega prick? <laughs> I think we all have some of those in our lives. <laughs> yes. Or, so. or wait, wait, I forgot about this one. The warning call, where the suffix is caca. Yes. So. Oh, pl- or, or fertile. So if they have fertile and a warning call, they're playa caca. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. So the, the actual, the prefix and the suffix that we were just giggling about has no actual gameplay effect. It's just something funny that they kind of threw in with the game, which is cool. And it it adds a lot of flavor to it. Yeah. So the goal of the game is basically by default you are an herbivore. So you're trying to eat more than your opponents do at the end of the game or by the end of the game. So the ways you eat more is increase your population size because then you're, uh, for each creature, the population, the bigger the population, the more your population is eating. Well... Um, that's great and all, except you might run into two major problems. One, uh, someone might have turned into a carnivore, so... exactly what it sounds like. Uh, they might eat you instead. So here's the thing about your cute, cuddly, goofy creatures. They're not immortal. So, what Wife is alluding to is your creatures can die in two, one of two ways. One, they can be eaten by predators. Now, they're defensive traits that you can get, such as defensive hurting, or you can increase your body size because if you're bigger than the predator, they can't eat you. However, the second way is if there's not enough food. So part of the turn sequence is you add food to a central pile called the watering hole. Well, once the watering hole runs out of food, so essentially you go around in a circle, everybody gets to take one food unless... Um, you are lucky enough to have cards that let you take more than one. But um, in general, you're on the circle. I would take one. Husband would take one until all the food in the uh, 
watering hole is gone. Or everybody's been fed. Yeah, so if every, early fed. in the game, there will generally be an excess of food because you only start out with so many creatures and you can't, they don't eat that much. Yeah. But then you have to choose which of your creatures are not going to get fed and which ones might starve. And um, if you were the type of person who um, the brave little toaster messed up your worldview and everything has emotions and feelings, you're going to feel pretty terrible. Yeah, if you get super attached to things that aren't real... Bite me. They were cute <laughs> and adorable. So They were ninja chunks, man. Right. So, your cute, cuddly, adorable creatures or horrific, monstrous predators could either be eaten by another predator and your species could go extinct, which doesn't mean you're out of the game, but obviously sets you back, or... They might starve to death, which decreases your population because they starve to death. Which then, long-term, impedes your ability to continue accruing points, which, at the end of the game, obviously, less points you lose. So, there's not a whole lot to the rules. Basically, the turn sequence is... You give everybody their cards based on some criteria. We don't need to go into the details. You select your food cards. So this is where the players all collectively but secretly decide how much food to add to the watering hole. So it can be big numbers, little numbers, or even negative numbers. Exactly. Then you get to play cards so you can evolve your species. You can create new species. You can enhance your existing species, either in population or body size. And then you feed. And as we said, each person goes in turn doing their thing until there's no more food or some other trigger happens. So there's not a whole lot to the game itself from the rules perspective. But because you have so many different options at every stage, there's a lot of depth to it. Yeah, it's um, complexly non-complex. Well, it's one of those... It's There's lots of different options, but learn, it's not hard. Easy to or It's quick to learn, a lifetime to master. Yeah. So compared to some other games we played recently, like the Turtles game that we had described several episodes ago. Where it's not easy to learn, and it's still going to take a lifetime to master. Exactly. Or the others. Which I thought the others was relatively easy to learn. Only because we played Turtles first More and we knew we were getting ourselves into sort of thing. Uh this is a game that's much quicker to pick up, way faster to set up. It takes like two minutes as compared to the Turtles game or the others, which we love both of those, but they take a decent amount of time to get the board laid out, get all the pieces right, get the scenario right. This is basically shuffle the cards, dump the stuff on the table, go. Yeah, and repeat the process, but... I found it to be really fun, um, and like we said, it's a great way to get non-gamers into gaming. Exactly, and it's it's a very neutral theme, so it's not, you know, I could play this with my mom. Yeah, it wouldn't be like trying to play Cards Against Humanity with With parents. your father-in-law. <laughs> okay, first off, my dad is excellent at Cards Against Humanity, so don't even go there. Yeah, it's not weird at all. All right, it's a little weird, but still. So it, and it's also even something that's, you know, less potentially offensive, such as the Turtles game. There is a popsicle's chance in hell that I could sit my mother down and, sure, she would seem interested, but let's be real, Mom. 
we we both know. Yeah. We both know. So it's recommended um, ages 12 and up, two to six players, um, with about an hour of playtime. Now, if you have more players, like if you have six players, it's not going to take an hour because you're going to go through the deck pretty fast. I think we had six players and the games took about 20 minutes. They took a little bit longer, but that's mostly because we had one individual who has analysis paralysis in every game that he plays. So yeah. he wants to... he. Doesn't intentionally do it, but he freezes up trying to figure out what the perfect move at any given time is. Which, yeah, you want to make the right move, but at a certain point, it's like, okay, just decide. Do something. We yeah. don't, don't want to have to put a chess clock on. Yeah, but in general, it's a really fun game. I would definitely recommend it. Um, there is a new expansion out, which we have not tried yet, but we just got in the mail this week, so hopefully we'll be able to try it soon. Yep. There's actually a couple of expansions. We particularly went with the climate change because it was recommended. There's a birds expansion or flight. And that's not happening in my life. There. Well, it's also supposedly not quite as good. Birds uh, are terrifying. And there's also a beginner's one, so if you are looking for it, the base game has a iguana and a dinosaur on it whereas the kids version the beginners one has i believe just a brontosaurus on it yeah but you just they the boxes do look kind of similar if you don't know exactly what you're looking for you just have to be a little careful yeah uh, and the expansions are not the full game either although they supposedly are releasing a new revised edition that contains the base game and the expansion together so like i said just be careful if you're going to pick it up that you know what you're picking up. Yeah. But anyway, hope you look at it. Have a good week, everybody. Have fun. Hi, everyone. If you like the show, and if you want to see some of our deck lists written out or some of our other thoughts about the game, please visit us at our website, randomsthoughts.wordpress.com. Again, that's randomsthoughts.wordpress.com. And you can also email us at randomsthoughtspodcast at gmail.com. Hope to hear from you soon.